So if you're a first-time guest with us here today, I want to just say thank you for accepting someone's invitation uh, to come in here and, uh, you know, praise and worship with us and hear a talk, and hopefully your experience thus far has been a good one, um, and we've prayed for you, we've planned for you, and so we're excited that you're here, and I want to let you know we're in a series right now called The Power of Questions, and the idea behind this series, just to kind of catch up really quick, is that Questions are, can be a powerful tool in our lives for transformation. Questions always communicate a value. Uh, didn't we learn about what's important to our parents by the questions that they asked, right? Did you brush your teeth? Did you clean your room? You know, did you do your homework, right? We learn from our parents and from our teachers and our coaches what's important by the questions that they ask because behind every question, there's always a value there. And so that's exciting, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's something to consider there. I also love questions because they get you to, to think differently. They get you to think in ways that you haven't thought before. And really, we change when we change our thinking. Isn't that true? Isn't that why the Apostle Paul said that, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, right? And we should be renewed in the spirit of our minds in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul talks about that. And so when we, when we think differently, we can actually begin to live differently. And a great question has the ability to do that. I think that's why Jesus used questions in his teaching. One time he gave us this incredible question. He said, what would it profit a person if he gained the whole world but he lost his soul? Wow, what a question. Behind that question, there's a, there's a value statement. And the value statement is this, your soul is extraordinarily important. You need to consider it. You need to consider the condition of your soul, right? Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to think differently about life. Life is not about accumulating things and toys and houses and, and, and big bank accounts. What does it profit if a person gains all of that, but they lose their soul in the end? Whoa, that's a different thought. Do you see how he got us to think differently with a question, a powerful question? That's really what we want to leverage in this series. And so we've been talking about questions. And last week we talked about, uh, Bill talked about, you know, what would a great parent do? Did you guys enjoy Bill? Did he do, yeah, enjoy him? Awesome. You were here. I, I asked Bill a couple weeks ago, I said, Bill, would you, would you be willing to give a talk uh, in a couple of weeks? And, and he looked at me and he said, Danny, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. <laughs> but... But he wasn't necessarily excited because it's been about four years since Bill gave a talk. But he did a great job. Do you agree with that? I thought it was awesome. So hopefully you absorbed that in there. Uh, and then the week before that, we talked about what would a great friend do. And we talked about David and Jonathan. And I challenge you to be a Jonathan and, and just be a great friend. And so, yeah, so what I want to do today is talk about another question. And I want to give it to you really quick and then, and then uh, slowly try to answer it uh, over the next 30 minutes or so. This is the question I want to ask today. What would a great employee do? Now, I know some of you, when you see that question, you're thinking, man, I don't want to talk about my job. <laughs> it's the weekend. I don't even want to think about my job. <laughs> Why are you going to bring up my job for? I, and I promise you there's a good reason. And we'll get there. If you give me a little time to develop it, I think you'll, you'll really appreciate this, this talk. Um, but, you know, it's important to be, as I said a moment ago, every question has a, has a value behind it. And this question has certainly is, is no different. The, the value behind this question is that it's very important for you to be a good employee. It's extraordinarily important for you to be a great employee, especially as a Christ follower, right? Most of us have jobs. A lot of us work full-time. Some of us work part-time. Some of us are not working right now, but we will work in the future. And, and some of us are technically don't have a job, but we have a job because we're stay-at-home parents, and that is a job. <laughs> and that is oftentimes harder than those of us who have full-time work. Isn't that right? 
Stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, anybody out there? <laughs> that is tough work. <laughs> anyway, um, I've, I've tried it a few times, but, but uh, it's difficult. So, so most of us have work, and, and, and work is important because on a practical level, it's the way we earn an income, it's the way we pay our rent or our mortgage or buy groceries, raise our families, and send our kids to all kinds of activities that are very expensive. Anyone else? Paying money constantly for their kids? Okay, anyway. Uh, so you need, a, you need to be a good employee because there's, there's practical implications on your life that are very, very important. But that's not why I'm asking this question today. I'm not asking this question today so that you can make more money or get a promotion or get a raise or advance in your career. Although there's nothing wrong with that, and I would encourage you, if that's what God wants for you, to go do that. I'm asking this question for a different reason. Because I think there's a bigger story going on at your job. There's something more important going on at work than how much you get paid or what's the next promotion or what's the next benefit for you, okay? And then, and then I want to look, I want to ask this question through the lens of the message and the mission of Jesus. The message and the mission of Jesus. When Jesus came on the scene early on after, you know, he, he declared his public ministry, he started saying things like this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. In other words, this is, this is it. This is the moment in history I'm going to tell you what God has sent me to this world to do. The kingdom of God is at what? Hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent or change the way you think. Turn around. That's what that word means. Repent and put your faith in or believe the gospel. That was his message. Very, very simple. Now, this book here, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, was written to explain what this means. This, this statement here is not as simple as you might think. This statement here that Jesus gave is not about going to heaven when you die. A lot of people have reduced Christianity into, hey, say this prayer, put your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and guess what? When you die, you get to go to heaven. And many people have reduced the message of Jesus down to that. And that is not what this statement means. Is that included? Absolutely. I want to go to heaven when I die. How about you? <laughs> How do you get to heaven, by the way? Well, you have to put your faith in Christ and believe that he died on the cross for your sins. And he rose again the third day so that you can be washed away of your sins, right? And baptism is a great picture of, of that, whole, that whole idea. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, that's just what happens to you after you die. Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's right, it's right where you can reach it. See, this book is at hand. I can reach over and I can grab it. Jesus says, if you now, here's, the offer of, here's the offer I have for you. If you want to live in my kingdom, if you want to live with me as your ruler and your leader, if you want to have me with you, guiding you and and talking to you and speaking to you and filling you with my spirit. If you want me right by your side for the rest of your life, every single day, all you have to do is reach out and take it. The kingdom of God is at hand. You see, the kingdom of God is God with you. The name of our church is Emmanuel. Anybody know what that means? God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. That's the message of the kingdom. It's not, hey, go to heaven when you die if you say this prayer. That's awesome. That's part of it. But you right now can live with God by your side every moment of every single day. Does that excite anybody? That's a wonderful <laughs> offer. 
Now, it means something else as well, and Dallas Willard talks about this in the book. The kingdom of God implies that Jesus is the king. And the king doesn't just sit on the throne and watch television. The king has a will. The king wants to do certain things in this world. The king wants to do things in your life. He wants to do things in the lives of the people around you. He wants to do things in this world. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, it's an invitation to join him to perform his will, which is why if you see in the Lord's Prayer, anybody have the Lord's Prayer memorized? If you have a Catholic background, you definitely do. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What, is it, what does the kingdom come mean? It means that your will is being done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now, does God's will, is God's will performed in heaven? You better believe it is. <laughs> How about on earth? Uh, not so much. Have you noticed? Just watch the news, right? So my job and your job is to partner up with God to perform his will on earth as it is in heaven. That's the invitation of the kingdom. That's messy. That's exciting. Me partnering with God in my life to perform his will on earth, wow, that's what it means to live in the kingdom. That's the message of Jesus. Now, what is the mission of Jesus? Well, all you have to do is continue to read through Mark, and you'll see it. Mark, Jesus is walking along, and he sees these two brothers, Andrew and Simon, and listen to what he says to them in verse 17, just a few verses later. Jesus said to these fellows, follow me, guys, and I'll make you fishers of men. See, they they had their nets out. They were fishermen. Jesus says, I want you to put the nets away, and I want you to follow me, and we're going to go catch some what? Some people. And what did they do? They dropped their nets, they put their fishing poles away, and they, and they followed Jesus to go catch some people. Do you know what, the, you know what the, the mission of the kingdom is? People. People. You know, the people that aggravate you to no end? The people that cut you off on 135? (laughs) The people that work in your office that you don't like? That person in your house that you're not very fond of, but you have to live with them? All these people. People are crazy, aren't they? Jesus says to Simon and his brother, let's go catch some. Let's go invite some people into the kingdom. So in the next chapter of Mark, chapter 2, just right there, if you read through the Gospels, you just see the kingdom being played out. Jesus is sitting with some of these people, and some of, the, some of his critics, there's like, why, why does Jesus, this supposed rabbi, this supposed holy man, why is he hanging out with some disreputables, with some people who don't go to church, with some real-life sinners? You know any real-life sinners? Is anybody a sinner today? Are you honest with yourself? Because we're all sinners, aren't we? Jesus comes and he's hanging out with some sinners and, they, and his critics start. He overhears them criticize. Watch what he says to his critics. He said, come on, guys. Those who are well don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous. Now, let me pause here really quick. What he really means here is, I have not come to call those who think they're righteous. See? See, nobody's righteous, but some people think they're righteous. Jesus didn't come for those who are deceived about their own holiness and righteousness. Come on, come on. I hope you're not deceived. I hope you're here today because you're poor in spirit, and you're saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you. 
I'm a sinner and I'm broken. See, that's, that's the type of person that Jesus came from. He came for. I didn't come for those people who think they're righteous. I came for those who, who know the truth about themselves and they're sinners. That's the, the message and the mission of Jesus. And you see him speak it, invite others into it, and, and play it out and live it out himself. Now, you might be thinking, I thought you were gonna ask the question about my job. <laughs> what would a great employee do? I'm gonna get there, don't rush me, don't rush me. Some of you are looking at me like, come on. I'm gonna get there. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question before I get to that question. Where does, where does Jesus wanna do this? Where does he wanna do this? Where does, where does he wanna go catch people? Here's the answer, ready? Everywhere, all the time. Everywhere, all the time. That's where he wants to do it. You see, the mistake that a lot of people of faith make is they separate religious moments from uh, secular moments. This would be a religious moment, going to church. If you're, if you're even more advanced in your spiritual life, you might go to a small group. That would be another religious moment. And if you're even more advanced beyond that, you have a daily personal time with God. Maybe you read the one-year Bible or Jesus Calling or some type of devotional and you have a journal. That would be another religious moment in the day. So you have personal time with God, small group, and maybe a service on the weekend. And what people of faith have done, and this has caused so much harm, is they've divided their life up into religious moments and secular moments, but there's no such divide. There's no such divide, friends. The invitation of the kingdom is that God is with you 24-7, every moment of your life. There is no divide between the secular and the sacred which is why Christians for so long have gotten this bad reputation of being people who attend church, but then when they leave church, they act like buttheads. <laughs> Seriously. There's, there's nothing about their life that looks spiritual. And so the outside world looks at them and says, what do they label us? Yeah. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. You attend services, but I know how you act at work. There's no divide between the secular and the sacred. Paul said it this way in Acts chapter 27. In him we live and move and have our being. Wow, what an idea. In him we live and move and have our being. Everywhere we go, we're with God if we're living in the kingdom. That's the invitation. The kingdom is living with God, Emmanuel, God with us. Not just in religious moments, but every moment of our day. When Solomon was teaching his son about how to avoid sexual sin, which was very relevant for today's world because our world is so sexualized, we sell hamburgers with sex. It's really ridiculous. So this is relevant to all of us today. A lot of the problems we deal with in the church here are, 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 are sexually related, okay? And that makes sense because our, we live in a sexualized world, and if we're not on guard at all times, we're gonna, we're gonna fall prey to this sin. Listen to what Solomon says to his son in Proverbs 5. He says, look, all of your ways are in, what? Bold view. Son, it's like he sit him down and says, son, look, when you think that, there, when you think that you're in, a, in a, a secret spot where no one can see, and you're gonna try to make moves on a young woman, the Lord's watching. All your ways are in full view. When you think you're alone by that computer, and you're ready to click on a pornographic website, 
don't, don't think that you're alone. Just because your wife is sleeping, your husband's sleeping, and no one's watching, or the boss is out of, out of whatever, there's no private moments here, because the Lord, he's examining all of your paths. He's always watching. That's life in the kingdom, right? I remember when I was in high school, I'd have to wait until my mom would go upstairs before I would make a move on my girlfriend. Anybody else? Because if I tried to make a move on my girlfriend with my mom in the room, bam! She would have just punched me right there. She was like that. Just, just 100% Puerto Rican lady. I mean, she was just fiery. So I had to wait until mom was gone before I could do something sinful. Solomon's just saying to his son here, oh, come on, come on, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God is always with you. And so here, I'm getting to my question, I promise. Here, but before we do, I got one more question. Where do we spend a lot of our time? Where do you and I spend a lot of our time? Isn't it at work? Why wouldn't we think that God is wanting to perform his mission and fulfill his plans in our life at work? See, work is not just about work. Work is about Emmanuel, God with you 24-7, working in your life, working in your co-worker's life and your boss's life. The kingdom of God is active, is, at least God wants it to be active at your workplace. And that's why we would ask this question. That's the lens through which I want to ask this question. What would a great employee do in light of the bigger story that's going on? Bigger than how much money you make or what's your next promotion? Oh, my gosh, what, you know, do you get to whatever, all the personal benefits? No, 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 that's important, but, but, but there's something bigger going on. See, here's the truth of the matter. The, the Washington Post just came out and said that, that the average full-time worker now works 46.7 hours a week. That's a fourth of your week at work. What would, of course God would want to perform his will on earth as it is in heaven during those 46.7 hours. It's a very spiritual time at work. There's no such thing as secular and sacred, right? That's a, four, a fourth every week. If you times that by 47, 48 weeks, if you take four weeks off for vacation, that's 2,256 hours. You can check my math. Per year. 2,256 hours at work per year. Do you not think that God wants to leverage that time to invite people around you at work into the kingdom? Of course he does. Otherwise, that would be wasted time in his, in his kingdom. See that? Just recently, I saw something that said, a Gallup poll said that 87% of people do not like their jobs. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't, maybe that's an exaggeration, that picture, but 13% of the people like their job. Another, uh, I think the Huffington Post said that uh, the disengagement, employee disengagement at work costs the U.S. economy $500 billion a year. Just being disengaged, disinterested, like this guy, he's got his lunch there, he didn't even notice he spilled his coffee. <laughs> he's on, he's texting somebody, right? There's another one, another stat that says that, that, uh, that employees on social media cost companies $2.2 billion. Facebook, Twitter, just during work, during work hours, just employees all on Facebook. And look at this boss right here, she's just ticked, she's just mad, she's just, you know. It's just, we clearly have issues at work. The, the Bureau of Labor now said that the average American worker spends 4.4 years on a job, and they're on to the next one. And for younger people, millennials, they, the average time they spend at a job is three years or less. 
That doesn't look very good on a resume, by the way. If you're a millennial, a younger person, it doesn't, you know. Anyway, that's just, that's free information for you for later. We clearly have issues at work. What if, what if we saw work differently? What if we saw work as part of what God is doing in the bigger story? What if we saw work as an invitation to live in the kingdom of God? Now let's ask the question, what would a great employee do through that lens? Wow, number one, what would a great employee do? A great employee would work hard. A great employee would work hard. A great employee would be diligent at their work. They'd follow up and they'd leave it all on the court. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 3. He said, whatever you do, work heartily with all your heart as for the Lord and not for men. He continues, watch this in verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, you are serving the Lord Christ. Can I ask you a question? How hard would you work if you knew Jesus was your boss? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Like, would you leave it all in the court? If you knew that your boss really wasn't your boss, but your boss was Jesus, well, guess what? Your boss is Jesus. Says it right here. I didn't say it. For it is the Lord that you are serving. Some of you are hung up on the fact that you have a bad boss, so you you don't work very hard, or you just do the very, very minimum that you have to do. Wrong, wrong. Your boss is not your boss. Your boss is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Chick-fil-A has got this figured out. They've actually taken uh, the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, where he said this. Jesus said, hey, if someone forces you to go one mile, go two, right? So they've got this thing called second-mile service at Chick-fil-A. Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, basically said it this way on one of his blog posts. He said, you know, every employee is expected to do certain things. You know, be nice, be ethical, say please and thank you, you know, keep, a, keep the place clean. But that's first-mile service. He said second-mile service is when you help a mother with children get to her table, when you refill somebody's drink, you know, when you engage in meaningful conversation with a smile, and you always say at the end of the conversation, what? What do they say? It's my pleasure. See, you've had this experience. He says, that's second-mile service. That's going, that's going above and beyond. It ups the ante. What, what would happen if you were a second-mile employee? Do you, think, do you think, perhaps, that you would give your coworkers and your employer a picture of what it looks like to be a person living in the kingdom of God? What do you think? <sighs> See? There's a bigger story going on here. What would a great employee do? They would work hard. Secondly, what would a great employee do? They'd be reliable. They'd be reliable. You could count on them. Does your employer count on you? Can he or she count on you? Proverbs chapter 25 verse 19 says it this way, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking with a lame foot. Ever had a bad tooth or, or a sprained ankle? Oof, I have. Every bite is painful. Every step is painful. Listen, when you're an unreliable employee, every day is painful for your boss. Because they are, they're, they're wondering in the back of their mind, are they going to get their stuff done? Are they going to follow through? Um, it's painful, right? You have to be reliable. How, how, do, how, do you, how do you develop reliability? Well, two things, and I could talk about a ton of things, but I'll just talk, I'll touch, touch on two. Number one, you've got to get stuff done. You've got to execute. You gotta, when, when your boss asks you to do something, you got to do it. And do it, do it with time to spare. Go above and beyond, right? Go the second mile. Execute on what you need to do. And I'll tell you what, if you do that, you're going to build huge trust between you and your employer. I remember when, reading in Acts chapter 15 when the Apostle Paul was getting ready to go on the second missionary journey and circle back with a lot of the churches that they planted. They were putting a team together. And he's talking to Barnabas, his teammate, and he says, who should we take with us? And Barnabas 
said this. Watch this to Paul in Acts chapter 15. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take this guy named John Mark. Now, John Mark was his cousin, and Barnabas was a believer in people. His, his name is actually son of encouragement. So he, he believed and wanted to give people second chances, but watch this. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark, what did he do? He deserted them when they were in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. It doesn't say why, but in the middle of the missionary journey, which is a lot of hard work, he just bolted. <laughs> he says to Barnabas, I'm not taking that guy. Are you kidding me? What if, what if we're in the middle of this, you know, difficult season of ministry and we're counting on John Mark to do a bunch of things and he just leaves us again? They disagreed so strongly, you can read it the rest of the passage, that, that Barnabas and, and, and Paul actually separate over this whole discussion about John Mark. Because in Acts chapter 13, he, he bolted. Whoa. You have to be the type of employee that can be counted on. How else? How else, how else do you? The second thing, let's look at this. How else do you need to be uh, counted on? you got to tell the truth. you got to be honest. you got to be honest. No matter what you do as an employee, what skills you bring to the table, even if you're the best employee and you're the most talented or whatever it is that you do, if you start to fudge the truth or, or exaggerate or lie about things, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's, all, it's all gone because your employer cannot trust you. Listen to what the Bible says about telling the truth. This is so powerful. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. It's, it's amazing how simple this is, but there's not a lot of people out there that are just very honest people. So you'll stand out. If you're the type of person that tells the truth consistently, you will stand out. You might be thinking right now, but if I tell the truth at work, I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah, you will. And it'll be a test of your faith. Remember John the Baptist? He told the truth. What did he tell the truth about? He told the truth to, to Herod. He said, you can't marry your brother's wife. That's adultery. And what happened to John the Baptist when he told the truth? He got his head cut off. Some of you are like, that's why I don't tell the truth. <laughs> you know, I know John got his head cut off. But I think that was exactly what God had planned for him. And I don't think John's too upset about it. What do you think? I think he's in a good place. See, telling the truth at work, there's potential there for things to go haywire, and it could go bad for you, but who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in, right? Is your life lived in the hands of God? He'll protect you. He'll provide for you. Tell the truth. You tell the truth, you are going to stand out. Now, let me give you this third one here. By the way, if you're the type of person who gets stuff done and, and tells the truth, are you going to give people a picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom? What do you think? Man, of course you will, right? Jesus is truth. Jesus did go all the way to the cross and get it done, right? You give people a picture of who he is. Let's talk about this third one real quick. In your notes, a great employee is a team player. It's a team player. They get along with other people. And this is rare. <laughs> Maybe you've noticed this in the office. You know, some people, it's just very difficult for them to get along across departments or across ranks. And, you know, it's just, it's just hard for people to, to get along with a lot of different people. 
And so how do you pull this off? Well, the first thing you have to do, and there's a lot of things you could do. In fact, if you did a Google search, you'd come up with a list of 19 things of how to become a great team player. We don't have time to do all that, but I do want to touch on two things. Number one, be positive. Be positive. You know, an incredibly positive person stands out. It's, an, it's unbelievable. Because most people are what? Most people are focused on the negative. It's so, it's so easy to do. They're just negative. They're, they're Debbie Downers, and they're, you know, they're like Eeyore, and they're just like everything is down and discouraging, and that's, that's, that, that just kills a culture inside of any, any type of business, organization, or, or church. And so when you come along and you're positive and you're a, you're a glass half full guy and a girl or whatever, and man, you stand out. Listen to what the scriptures say about this. Proverbs 17 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Whoa, that's incredible. A positive attitude can heal. That's basically what Solomon's saying here. You want to bring healing to a relationship or an organization? Just bring a cheerful heart. Say, hey, guys, it's going to be all right. We're going to make it. Let's go. God's got great things for us, right? But watch the opposite. But a broken spirit saps a person's strength. And you've been around. You know, who in the, you know the people in the office who, who are like this. You know the people in your home who are like this. Man, it is, the negativity just saps away the energy, and it just crushes the whole environment. Be positive as a team player. You, you, you will stand out. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, do everything without arguing, complaining. Here's, and here's what will happen. You'll shine as lights in the world. Because that is rare for people to be positive. And then number two, watch this. Think of others and help them out. Think of others and help them out. How do you be a great team player? Think of others and help them out. Jump in. Don't just do your job. So many people are just focused on what they have to do. You know, the, this is such a problem that the Apostle Paul actually had to spell this out for us in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what he says here in Philippians 2, 4. He says, don't just think about your own stuff. Oh, don't just look out for your own interests, but also the interests of who? Your coworkers. Don't just look at your own things and do your own thing. Think about what they have to do and jump in and help them out. Maybe you've seen this picture before of the roadkill with the lions. This, is, this, actually, this picture actually won an award. Um, I look at that, and, and I honestly, I just sit down, and I go, re- re- really? You didn't, want to, you didn't want to move it? Oh, it's not your job. This is the culture in, in many offices and businesses, and it's not my job. I don't move roadkill. I just paint lines. Really? You know, in our house, we have a staircase. Anybody else have a staircase? goes upstairs. <laughs> and uh, the children's rooms are upstairs. The ma- our master is on the main. I'm so thankful for that. And so the, the children uh, uh, take this staircase to get to their bedrooms. And inevitably, there's always an accumulation of stuff on the stairs. I mean, uh, you know, iPads, uh, clothes, underwear, socks, shoelaces, toys. You, I mean, the list is endless of what can end up on the stairs. So every, every uh, you know, other day or so, I get the crew together and say, hey, guys, hey, guys, let's clear the stairs. Someone's going to break their neck. Let's clear the stairs. And, you know, so what they do is they go into action, and they start to, to, to grab some stuff, and they bring it upstairs, and then, and then inevitably, five minutes later, there's always stuff left on the stairs. You with me? You with me? So I call the, call the crew back together. Hey, team, come on over here. You know, uh, what's, what's, go, what's, what's going on? 
And the very next thing that they say is what? <laughs> it's not mine, Dad. So, here's, so here's, here's me as the dad, you know, just all positive. I try to be a very, very you know, hope-filled person, try to believe the best in, in everyone. And, and I'm like, I, I just hope one day, here's what, here's what I'm going to hear from, from, from one of my children. You know, Dad, I, I know it's not mine, but, but I'm going to take it up. <laughs> I'm going to take it up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab it all, Dad. I know it doesn't belong to me, but, but I'm going to rise above average. <laughs> You know, I'm going to be the better person. And I, and I dream about stuff like that. Am I crazy? Should I? Should I? Should I stop? No, no, I got to gotta hope that one day they rise. But, but it's like that in my house. And guess what? That's human nature. And it's like that in your office. It's like that at your work. And you got to, that's not being a team player. Team player thinks about, okay, that's mine, that's mine. I know that's Bo's, but I'm going to grab it anyway because his bedroom is on the way up. I'll just throw it in as I go to mine, right? So, wow, you'll stand out. You, you'll give people a picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom, will you not? Because here, here's what Jesus, here's what Jesus, here's how we live. He would say things like, hey, you, whoever wants to be greatest among you must be the servant of all. And then he got down on his knee and, 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 he, and he demonstrated what that looked like by washing his disciples' feet. I mean, filthy, dirty, grown men, nasty toenails, Walking through the muddy streets of Jerusalem with all the dung on the streets from the camels and the donkeys. And he's washing their feet. Whoa. He would say it and he would live it. And so what does it look like to live in the kingdom? You're a servant. You don't just think about your own stuff, but you think about the stuff of others and you jump in and help. You will show people a picture of the kingdom. Now, what have I said today? I've said a lot. I wanted to ask this question through a different lens. What would a great employee do? Not because you get raises and promotions and whatever career advancement. If that happens, great. What I've said today is let's be great employees because there's a bigger story going on. Jesus is, is, is seeking. He's on a relentless pursuit for people. He's hanging out with people, and he's, he's getting his Simons and his Andrews to join him to go be fishers of men. You are the fishers of men. He says, I want you to go to work every day with a different mindset. I want you to perform at a high level and be a great employee so that you can give people an invitation into the kingdom of God. That's totally different than just getting up and going to work. Do you agree? That'll get you up in the morning. That's exciting, partnering with God to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven with your 46.7 hours a week or maybe your part-time with 22 hours or whatever, right? That is different. Here, I wanna leave you with a statement today and this is, this is, I believe this is true with all my heart. Your performance on the job either validates or discredits the kingdom of God. Uh, which one is it for you? Your performance on the job either discredits, validates or discredits the kingdom of God. That's the bigger story that's going on. What do I mean by performance? Are you a team player? Are you reliable? And do you work hard as unto the Lord and not unto men? Now, my hope is that you'll take these ideas and tomorrow you'll wake up and you'll go to work with a totally different attitude, totally different motivation to partner with God and build his kingdom. There's some of you here today that you're not in the kingdom yet. I say kingdom of God, you're not really sure what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life with God. 
The best life that is possible is life with God. Life with God is better than life without God. I'm talking about a life filled with joy and peace right now. Uh, yes, it does include going to heaven when you die, and that's important. Your sins are forgiven and you're reconciled with God. But I'm talking about partnering with him right now. Living every moment of your life with him. Fulfilling his will on earth as it is in heaven. If you'd like to step into that kingdom today, the offer is very simple. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 puts it this way. For whoever, anybody, the kingdom is open to anybody who wants it. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be, what? Saved. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ today, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. It's a very simple prayer. And in this moment, what you're doing is you're stepping into the kingdom. You're asking Christ to be your Savior. And you're going to live with him for the rest of your life and then into, on into eternity. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And say this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I accept your invitation. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. I now trust you and put my confidence in you to be my savior, to be my God. I want to live with you every day of my life and then after this life. Help me to follow you, to love you, and to fulfill your will on earth as it is in heaven. Place my faith in you today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, our church on your way out, would love to put a one-year New Testament in your hands. And uh, as a kingdom person now, if you put your faith in Christ, this is your guidebook. This is how you learn what the Father's heart is, what his will is, what he wants to do in your heart, what he wants to do in the hearts of the people around you. I read these passages, and I have read them for many years. There's tables back here to my right and to my left. So if you put your faith in Christ, just go back there. There's some very nice people back there. I'd love to just put one of these in your hands if you pray to receive Christ today. So can we give God glory today for what he's done? And if you're, if you're interested in reading more about the kingdom of God and what it looks like to live in the kingdom, Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy, is fantastic. It's up there with Mere Christianity and some of my favorite books I've ever read. It's, he's a, he was a philosophy teacher, so it's kind of thick in some areas. It's like, oh my gosh, what is he talking about? But if you hang with him over time, it's, it's so insightful and so life-changing. The Divine Conspiracy, the title of the book simply means God's kingdom among us. It's a conspiracy because you, ha you have to have eyes of faith to see it. It's not right in front of you. It's a life of faith. It's a life by, you know, not of sight. And so it's exciting. If you want to pick that up, you, you definitely can. I think we have a few copies in our bookstore. So you excited to live in the kingdom? You excited to go to work tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, you're so gracious. You're so humble. You're so patient to even invite us in to partner with you, to be part of your story. It's unbelievable. What a privilege to not just go to work and 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 make money, but to be part of people's lives, 
and live out your teachings in front of them and invite them into a life with you. Give us eyes to see the bigger story, the larger story of what's going on. And may many, many people come rushing into the kingdom as we partner with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week we're going to close out this series with what would a great disciple do? So you're not going to want to miss that. God bless you. I love every one of you. See you next week. Bring a friend.